0: You're listening to The Sister Trill with Danai and Kiveli.
1: Hi, everybody, and welcome back to The Sister Trill. I'm Kiveli. And I'm Danai. And in today's episode, we are going to actually talk about that, something that just came up in our lives quite naturally this week and kind of... Uh, triggered this conversation I think it's about a topic that we have thought about a lot um, whether we wanted to or not simply from a biographical standpoint which is um, anxiety specifically for us of course performance anxiety but we came to the topic this week because we were actually talking about social anxiety and like the type of uh, normal anxious feelings that many young people feel anyway and I would say more young people feel now than maybe uh, 50 years ago. So uh, before we get into this topic, let's first share uh, what we
0: disagreed on this
1: week. I don't know if you've prepared
0: something. I've prepared something. Oh, oh wow, yeah. okay, go. Um, so it, it's actually a disagreement that's a bit um, further back, so it's not, strictly speaking, this week. But I just wanted to bring it in here because this morning I woke up and my son wants to have some porridge So I made some porridge for him. And I just, without really looking, just grabbed some oats. And in this house, we have fine oats and we have... What do you call the other ones? Like big oats. And yummy just, oats. You yeah. have fine oats right. and we have yummy got it, oats. Got it, got it. And what you I call just them. grabbed one thinking they were the fine oats, but they weren't. And basically we just uh, realized that um my son and I oh, actually he likes both, but I particularly like the fine oats. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to be like a real uh, almost like yogurty <laughs> texture. I know where, exactly what you mean. What yeah. You mean- Whereas like, mm-hmm. you like the, the big... The oh, texture, the actual... Yeah, that you can actually like three bite dimensional on. feeling. Yeah, and for me it's the exact opposite. So um, that's a, a very severe disagreement mm. that we had. <laughs> the only thing I can think of right now... Um,
1: which I'm not sure if we've even talked about in a previous episode. I think that we sometimes talked uh, something about water glasses, right? Or water glasses. Oh, yeah. But the one that I would like to uh, bring back to the forefront <laughs> is the fact that so many times I have a glass that I use and then I lay it down <laughs> on the kitchen counter and literally I come back
0: 10 minutes later and it's in the dishwasher. And I was like, I'm going to use it again. Today, I was missing some glasses and I just went down to your room and found three <laughs> and just <laughs> heroically brought those up because Kibeti was not here today oh, and yeah. placed them in the dishwasher. But yeah, that glass story is always happening. For me, just it's so it's such a feeling of satisfaction when I open that cupboard <laughs> and see that all the glasses are there. Like no, I get it. Yeah. I get it.
1: This part I can relate to absolutely. Yeah. but the I can't. I mean, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing is that you know, if I know I'm gonna be using that
0: glass no, again, get, and then I yeah, come back, yeah. and usually it's also I've put like cold water in, which I love, and then Got I it. have to and I've just chucked it sorry yeah. yeah also I just want to say that today we're kind of doing a premiere because we're puzzling <laughs> while we are recording the podcast so let's see how that's gonna work yeah, out because I've, I've come back from like a day
1: trip um, visiting my teacher actually in a different city and um,
0: yeah and kind of like we're in a very chill mode right now and, and we, we have this to... yeah 1000 piece planet puzzle yeah. that we're puzzling together so we're currently, you know, if, 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 we are, if we appear distracted, it's because we are. We are <laughs>
1: <yeah>. <laughs> okay, so yeah, let's get into the topic of um, anxiety or, or performance anxiety, social anxiety. Um, let's maybe approach it first from, I would say, our personal experience with it. Um, I would say that from my side, I have felt both. I felt, of course, performance anxiety quite uh, strongly, for sure. I mean, growing up and mm-hmm. handling that. But maybe uh, what many people might not expect from a person as extroverted as I am, I have also felt and dealt with social anxiety or social insecurity, where I've been, you know, very aware of my lack of satisfaction of my social perception, mm-hmm. I would say. Mm-hmm. How have you you know, felt growing up in both those
0: fields? Of course, as an artist, I think it's kind of inevitable that you go through a phase of performance anxiety through a phase of, as we call it, nerves, Mm -hmm. where you feel intimidated by the idea of going on stage. Usually you start out quite natural because you're very young. You don't Mm -hmm. even overthink it. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly there comes a point where you're hit by the the whole... The monster. Yeah, by this whole situation that is kind of extreme, that we put ourselves in on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Um, And, of course, I've I've gone through that phase. And I, I really, truly think that every artist has mm-hmm. gone through that phase. I think it's a phase that you grow with and a phase that is really important and vital in our development. And when it comes to social anxiety, I don't think I've ever experienced severe social anxiety. Yeah. Um Of course, I felt uncomfortable in in certain scenarios. And also, as we've discussed in a previous episode, I am more introverted than you are. Mm -hmm. And there are scenarios where I feel just I just feel uncomfortable when there are Mm -hmm. many people around after a certain time, usually not in the beginning. But when a certain amount of time has passed, I Mm -hmm. just feel like, okay, it's enough. I, mm-hmm. I want to get out. You know, my energy is drained. I want to get out. It's not so much anxiety, but it's yeah. a feeling of discomfort. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. No, what I I, I think it would be interesting to to maybe start with uh, the social anxiety part because there is already a YouTube clip where we speak a bit about performance anxiety, and we can definitely um, maybe refer to that as well. But um, the social anxiety we've actually never spoken about in public, and mm-hmm. I think um, the, the reason why it Kind of came up for me now was that a friend of mine was a friend of mine was telling me about um, the fact that you know he's close to someone who's currently feeling like um, there is some social anxiety going on, and I started realizing that social anxiety is something so uh, fluid and like between the whatever diagnosis of like an actual being socially anxious as a, mm-hmm. as a as a psychological thing to be worked on mm-hmm. versus just, you know, phases where one feels uh, less comfortable or less confident, you know, there is a huge spectrum. And I would mm-hmm. say, I would argue that many people, especially nowadays where we live in a time where psychological diagnoses just seem to... Uh, To seem to be um, welcomed right and left and everyone has Mm -hmm. something and something they're they're, they're clinically diagnosed with in a way. I would say that, you know, uh, we've kind of uh, lost touch with the fact that certain experiences are just extremely normal and human and just phases that happen. And even someone who I would say now would be perceived as socially extremely comfortable like you and I, Mm -hmm. especially I mean, so many people come up to me and and say, you know, oh you feel, you know, you don't have you're not at all self-conscious ever, or, you know, like people have said, like, oh, you know, you you it's so hard you never get ashamed or you never get, Mm -hmm. you know, self-conscious about something, to for me to absolutely acknowledge that I definitely in the past have felt socially anxious and still sometimes, you know, get uncomfortable when triggered by certain Certain situations, for example, the more I want to impress somebody, or the more I want to um, leave a certain type of impression within a group or in a certain scenario, the you know m- the less easy for me it is to tap into my natural personality. But yeah. I become self-conscious, and in the past, the way it manifested itself for me was that um, I was always, as you were as well. Uh, the youngest person in the group and um, a very, you know, a very, uh, like, quite obviously less experienced, potentially less knowledgeable, less mature person because I was sometimes uh, up to like 10 years younger than the average age of the people around me because of, you know, the, the fact that we... We're always surrounded by our musical class, not Mm -hmm. necessarily our school class. Um, And I remember very, very strongly between the ages of, I would say, maybe 12 and 17,
0: feeling that no one understood me the way I want to be understood. Well, I think I have many things to say about that. I think what you're coming, uh, what, what you're talking about or where you're coming from right now also has a lot to do with this other situation that we've discussed, which is our sibling situation because I was never the youngest person in the group because you were always younger than me. Mm -hmm. So that is, I think, something that is very particular to your situation, especially if you're talking about the ages between 12 and 17 because, um, you know, I was hanging out. Yes, people were slightly older than me, but not so much older than me, maybe three or four years older, which is different, you know, compared to eight or ten years older. So I think... um, that's not necessarily something that I relate to on that level. I can see it through your eyes, Mm -hmm. of course, but that was not my experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And the second thing I wanted to say is uh, that I think that you can definitely compare this social anxiety that everyone kind of goes through, especially during puberty and Mm -hmm. all of that, um, to the phase that we go through as artists. It's Mm -hmm. like a coming-of-age thing. And it's just, uh, you know, a little bit also the fear of the unknown, the fear of, you know, something that you have to still or have yet learned to navigate yes and you just have to learn how to act in certain situations and with that hand in hand also come embarrassing situations uncomfortable situations where you act in ways where later you think oh my god why did I do that Um, yeah 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 so I think it is normal and the hardest thing is in that moment to realize and accept that it is part of the process that this is not the end of Mm. the world right Mm. now but that it is part of the process if it is within the realm of, you know, normal social yeah. anxiety, not yeah. actually debilitating yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. diagnosis of, yeah. you know, something worse.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, one of the things that I remember actively changing, um, when, when I like, you know, kind of shifted from this, like more feeling like I was misunderstood face to finally feeling comfortable and coming into my own, I remember like becoming very honest and aware About my coping mechanisms. Like, I know that most people usually, I would say, the more socially anxious they are, the the less they say, or, like, Mm -hmm. the the more they retract into themselves. For me, it was the opposite. The more socially anxious or uncomfortable I felt, the more attention I tried to get. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. the louder I'd be, the more... Maybe you remember. (laughs) Uh, It rings a bell. (laughs) Like, the the, the louder I'd be, the more... um, You know, I'd I'd try to to, to make a point in a conversation, which I mean, for other people might be totally uh, unrelatable because most people are like, okay, I'm just going to be, I'm just going to sit here silently and hope no one notices me. But the trigger was exactly the same. I mean, I was feeling the exact same symptoms of, you know, like insecurity. I was just dealing with it differently. So I became very aware of like separating what was I saying out of like uh, the need for attention. Um, which for other people might be you know the the, the trying to avoid attention you know mm-hmm. and then what was i saying because i actually had something to say mm-hmm. and um i tried to challenge myself i remember in in some social interactions after i started thinking about this to be actively silent which was the opposite mm-hmm. of my usual usually uh, usual, usual yeah. behavior so in the opposite
0: would be for someone to be actively mm-hmm. uh
1: not silent, to be actively saying something. Yeah, I mean,
0: I think I'm probably more on the other side. If Mm -hmm. I get insecure or anxious or, you know, in the past when I did in these situations, I would just, you know, be on the side of being shy or Mm -hmm. retracted or just, Mm -hmm. you know, more quiet. And um, I think it's important to realize that some people, as you just said, that are, you know, loud and maybe a bit outrageous might also be acting yeah. like that mm-hmm. out of that motivation and not because they're crazy and are crazy for attention. Yeah. But um, actually because they're insecure. Yeah. And it's good to know that when you're navigating a conversation, especially if you're the person maybe that is not so anxious, you know, yeah. to help and facilitate the flow.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's a very good point that you make because I think many people that feel social anxiety that are on the shyer side believe that, you know, the louder, more extroverted people are maybe like, you know, just totally have it figured out, mm-hmm, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I think that the assumption that certain people just, you know, don't struggle from insecurity is yeah. a very wrong assumption and usually an assumption that leads to, you know, less uh, f- feelings, s- smaller feelings of self-worth within somebody. Yeah, I, So, I think, you know, I think everyone... I think the, the, the kind of, like, de- uh, taking power away from the from the group, like, if you go and you think, oh, my God, everyone is thinking this about me or everyone is yeah. laughing about me. No, usually all these people are just as, you know, kind of tuned into their own... Feedback loops of, you know, like insecurities, they're all dealing with themselves trying to feel secure. They're definitely not dealing with,
0: you know, yeah. paying attention to you. And I think it's also important to remember that probably, you know, 99% of the people on this earth have insecurities. Probably mm. 100%. Yeah, yeah. 100% of the people on this earth have insecurities and in a conversation, Certain insecurities will always come up mm-hmm. for every single person, and the people that appear more confident, or probably also the people that feel more confident and exude more confidence, are simply the people that have learned to handle these situations. So it's not about you know they were born without anxiety, mm-hmm. or they were, and it's the same when it when we're talking about performance anxiety. Mm-hmm. No one is born without a certain type of you know respect and fear. Um, mm-hmm. Of going on stage and mm-hmm. performing for thousands of people but but certain people have mastered the art of you know, handling this situation. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with their performance anxiety. People have learned... uh, Sorry, with um, social Social. anxiety. Yeah, people have learned how to handle it. And I think that, for me at least, when I had this realization at a certain age, that took so much weight off my shoulders. Absolutely, yes. Because I really felt like, okay, I don't have to make it go away. Mm -hmm. It will never go away and that's okay. Mm -hmm. I just have to find my method of dealing with Mm -hmm. it. And that's exactly... uh, also, what I, what I always
1: um, think about the fact when people say, well, you know, yes, but I'm, I'm afraid of this or this or that. Um, I think that there is often this misconception that, which tunes into what you said, that being confident or appearing confident means that you are not afraid, that you do something that suddenly you feel an absence of mm-hmm. fear or mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't have to be fear, an absence of, of doubt. But the truth is that you do something... In spite of your fear, which means that on top of the fear, what you add is courage. Yeah. And that is the way that you actually then start dealing with your social anxiety. I think in the beginning, you just need, you don't need to minimize your fear, you need to maximize your courage. And by consistently engaging in this, okay, I feel this amount of fear, I'm going to be even more courageous, you know, through repetition and, you know, feelings of, you know, progress and mini success moments and stories. Mm-hmm. You the fear starts to go away or to to feel yeah. um, less overwhelming and become more manageable and even whether it is performance anxiety or social anxiety it doesn't mean that it will go away forever sometimes it might come up either unexpectedly mm-hmm. or triggered by something and this type of setback doesn't mean that suddenly you know all your breadth of experience is gone you can still depend on it you know you can remember okay that's fine you know today I had a day off or something happened that triggered my anxiety and. Tomorrow, I go back to my, you know, I have to maybe bring more courage with me then because, you know, to kind of uh,
0: counteract that moment. Yeah, and I think I want to add to this. um, I mean, I totally agree, but it's not just courage. I think you should also bring a plan. Oh, yeah. Because Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to performance anxiety, the best antidote to being nervous is just be prepared. Mm -hmm. Be so perfectly prepared Mm -hmm. that... Nothing can rattle you, you know, know your piece inside out, be able to play it backwards. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to have a whole other feeling of confidence than if you're just, you know, halfway mm-hmm. prepared. And it's the same thing when it comes to any type of anxiety. I would say, know your fear, know what it is that you're Absolutely. afraid of, understand it. Um, I mean, I've told you this story many times, but I watched this movie um, about this tightrope rope artist, this French tightrope walker whose name is Petit, I think his last name is Petit. Le le Petit. Well, no, I I don't remember his his first name, but anyway, his last name is Petit. And he did this crazy thing where he put his tightrope between the two world trade centers. It's a a true story. And he um, walked this tightrope without any security. And he walked it, I think, eight times back and forth. And, of course, he became very famous because of this. And, well, first he was arrested and then he became very famous. Um, And people asked him, um, how can you not be afraid? And he said, I am afraid. Hmm. Of course I am afraid. But I know my fear. I know exactly what I'm doing. I know exactly where to put my foot. Hmm. I know exactly what to do. And I can handle it. I know that I can handle it. He said, if I were not afraid, I would fall. Hmm. But mm-hmm. because he's afraid and has a plan mm. how to deal yeah. with that fear, which for him really his life depends on it, yeah. Um, yeah. he he can he can handle it. And that was very interesting to me. And once he said, for example, if I'm afraid of a spider, yeah. what right. am I going to do? I'm going to look up the spider. I'm going to yeah. read up on the spider. I'm yeah. going to learn what the spider reacts to, how it moves, how, how mm. high is its speed, what does it eat? Is it dangerous? All of that. And then I will become less and less afraid. Yeah. And I think it's also interesting that we have this saying, you know, face your fears. Mm-hmm. But face your fears doesn't mean, you know, don't be prepared and just face them because mm-hmm. that's going to scare the hell out of you. Yeah. But really be prepared, study mm-hmm. your fears and then with the plan and the courage, yeah, face them. Yes, I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. And I would say, you know, to keep it applicable
1: for the social side, I think it's, totally respectable and necessary to sometimes go into a a, an engagement or a situation or or a a conversation having planned out what you want to say what you want to get across you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i remember that you know in the times i mean it's a bit of a ridiculous example but it's kind of the same thing just on an extremely i would say kind of also more relatable front that um you know when I was in school and I knew that a boy I thought was very cute you know mm-hmm. was was having his um, classes next to my classroom you know right. yeah, ev- yeah. I don't know every time on Thursdays or something uh-huh. like that uh-huh. um, and I knew that obviously that made me very shaky on my legs and I don't know insecure or something shaky like that Shaky on your legs? Well, you know what okay. I mean <laughs> that, um, <laughs> that I remember I would always I would always plan. Where I would be, what I would do,
0: you mm-hmm. know, because, and I think, you know, many girls do that. It's not like something that. Yeah, is but I mean, to until me. today, I mean, we sometimes discuss conversations, That's uncomfortable <laughs> conversations <laughs> yes. that we plan out. I mean, not with each other, but yeah. that we will have with someone else. And we literally rehearse them of together. Course, of course. I mean, to. T- t- in a more professional way, if you have an important
1: interview or you have like uh, an important meeting with someone where you want to pitch something, of course you're going to rehearse it because you know that you're going to be more uh, nervous. It's, you know, more, you feel like more is at stake. Therefore you're prone to maybe, you know, get into a more self-conscious mindset. You're going to rehearse it. So I, I don't think that there is anything wrong with applying that, especially when you're young and you're starting to, you know, grow into your personality and your identity. To rehearse the things that maybe later, when you're thirty years old, come naturally to you, and and you know, and I think that that's this mindset, this having a plan, just needs to be normal, exactly, exactly, and and, you know, I think that in that sense, maybe um, you know, parents can 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 engage with that in, in that with their. I don't know how you're planning on doing it with your children, because of course it's true that nowadays it's there is so much more at stake. In your everyday life because of social media because mm-hmm. everything is kind of up forever like you know mm-hmm. no no mistake can be forgiven you know no reput- well, in, in it's a way
0: interesting that you brought up this no mistake can be forgiven because I wanted to just say that I have one more piece of advice that just came to my mind which is that if Let's say that you are in this situation and let's say that you, you know, let's say if you're uh, giving a speech, um, you're so shaky, you know, your hands are shaking, I don't know, your voice Mm -hmm. is shaky, like it's apparent. Or let's say you're on stage and you made a mistake or, Mm -hmm. you know, something happened. Mm -hmm. I think the way to go then is to be disarmingly honest. Yes. I think that also takes away a lot of pressure if you just lead with hey, I'm really nervous right now. And then everyone laughs. Absolutely, yes. I mean, honesty is so disarming. And I think that also is a a good piece of advice to instead of trying to cover it up and, you know, pretending like nothing is wrong when it's really obvious that everything is wrong, just say, I'm really honest. And then people will laugh. Uh, Sorry, I'm really really nervous. And people will laugh and be like, okay, you know, and then you kind of got it off your chest. And usually things flow better Mm -hmm. from that point Mm -hmm. onward. Mm -hmm. And even if you're having this conversation, conversation, this uncomfortable conversation or something with somebody else just in a private way, maybe even lead with, okay, this is making me a bit nervous. Sorry if I'm going to be talking very fast. I just want to get it off my chest. You know, something like that. Yes. It can also be helpful. Yes. So yeah, when you said with my kids, I think I will definitely... To try to tell them that no mistake is unforgivable, as you said. You're not
1: unforgivable. No, no, you know it. Yeah. I know because yeah, yeah.
0: this is how we feel, but I yeah. want to try to tell them that it is not the mm-hmm. case and that especially in times of social media, yes, everyone will see it and and things like that, but tomorrow they will be talking yeah. about the next thing. I see, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not forever, and it was the same back in the day, even without social media. If someone did something embarrassing, the whole school kind of talked about it for a day or two, and then the next embarrassing thing happened. Mm-hmm. And I think I want to try to instill in them, of course, as much you know, confidence and self-love mm-hmm. as I can. I think this is the root of everything, mm-hmm. and this is um, the cure for mm-hmm. a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, I think if someone really just feels okay with who they are, mm-hmm totally independent from who they are, Mm -hmm. just feeling at peace and, like, balanced, Mm -hmm. I think this is a very good place to start Mm -hmm. with all of these things. And I
1: think that it's also, I mean, this is just a spontaneous thought, to be honest, but I was just thinking right now um, that it is very valuable for yourself to become aware of where do you draw your own confidence from. Mm -hmm. Is it, for example, your intellect? Is it your charm? Is it your compassion? Is it your... um, your ability looks. to your looks yep. of course, is your ability to you know create a good time and spread a good good mood mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. and and it's I think totally fine to know where that is and then you know draw confidence from yeah. it and of course, I mean the more you feel like the more you achieve in your life or you feel like you've achieved in your life, the more fundamentally confident you'll be, and the less dependent you'll feel. Um, from, you know, other people's opinions or other people's approval, which, of course, is something that, of course, shouldn't be a factor mm-hmm. in your confidence anyway. But, you know, if
0: we're honest, of course, it always mm-hmm. is, you know, kind of also. Yeah, no, but I think it's a very good point yeah. to just focus on your strengths. Basically. Exactly. And it, and this can be part of your plan.
1: Yeah. part and, and I think that, you know, there are so many things that you can draw confidence from that maybe aren't immediately the qualities that one thinks of. I think most mm-hmm. people think of... Um, I would say charm or or okay looks of course is a a kind of a double-edged sword one you know I would say Mm -hmm. but um, and 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 many people think of course intelligence but I would also say for example being really knowledgeable about one topic you Mm -hmm. know like this being your niche topic where you're an expert on and to know that you know what in this topic it's very likely I know more than the person I'm talking. And Mm -hmm. and therefore, I can feel comfortable in this conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, Or for example, another one that I feel is completely overlooked, but is a super valuable uh, quality and trait that you can take confidence from because people do want it, is kindness. Of course. I think that someone who is really able to be kind and patient and understanding in the conversation... Is so valuable, mm-hmm. and people gravitate to that so much, and it's maybe not the, the the thing that naturally people think like, oh, I'm so compassionate, you know, people yeah. are gonna like me because of it. But I think that the same way, another thing that, for example, maybe always, uh,
0: if you the way to find this trait in you, you know, yeah. like you say, even the uh, not so obvious one, <laughs> yeah. like kindness, is to just maybe first think about who am I, mm-hmm. you know, not. Who am I trying to be to mm-hmm. please someone or to appear cool or to appear confident? But yeah. who am I naturally as a person? Yeah. And then that's also, you know, where the self-love and the self-confidence yeah. comes from. And then use that as your strength. So as you said, if you're a naturally kind person, then just, <laughs> you know, put that to the yeah, front. Yeah, well, yeah. there are people that are not naturally. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, and I think I think that plays uh that plays an, a role as yeah. well. Yeah, to yeah. to know yourself, you know, first you have to do the work yourself find out yes. who you are yeah, and yeah. um and then you can think about how to use that in a conversation or in a Absolutely. social setting. And I
1: think by the way what I was saying before being an expert at one topic is you know, everyone knows more about one thing than the yes. other, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean sometimes just, you know, uh steering the conversation to, uh, I don't know, a series you know a lot about or, you know, Mm -hmm. a topic you know a lot about Mm -hmm. or or a style of music you know a lot about can just be, okay, you can take, you know, you can take some security from that conversation, computer games or whatever, you know, like, yeah.
0: Actually, I I was just recently in a a little bit social anxiety Mm. inducing setting because um, I had a concert in France and after that uh, there was a dinner And there was a dinner with exclusively French-speaking people. Mm -hmm. Um, So English was off the table. (laughs) And I had to speak in French. And I understand French very well. But speaking just takes a lot of concentration for me, and I really have to focus. I'm I'm just slower in reacting, and I'm definitely not my usual, you know, let's say, um, in a non-arrogant way, my usual charming, witty self <laughs> um, in French, you know, compared to English or German or, mm-hmm. or Greek. And in I had two dinners. The first dinner I was really pretty silent, mm-hmm. and and then the second dinner I just, um, as you said, you know went into it with 100% courage I maximized yeah. Yeah. my courage yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and yes I kind of also had thought of two three topics you know yeah. that I Preparing. was mm-hmm. prepared to talk about and it was totally fine I mean it was kind of like uh, daunting yeah and also exhausting and if you're focusing so much on the language for yeah. like three hours but mm-hmm. it was over I was like wow okay but it was fun I was I actually enjoyed it and yeah. I actually thought yeah I want more of that in order to become really really fluent you know yeah. in I don't know some months or something like that um yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah. and it's exactly i think it's just this fundamental shift of perspective where you understand that the problem is not the fact that you are anxious about something Mm -hmm. that is natural that is kind of the default state of the human
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and the chance is to develop more courage than, than that anxiety that you feel. And another thought that always helped me, whether it is performance or social anxiety, was the fact that to understand where does this mechanism come from inside mm-hmm. of us. And um, this, I mean, anxiety as a mechanism or worrying um, is something that is deeply rooted in our evolutionary survival. We used to, you know, I, I told you this story many times, like we'd sit around the fire and we'd hear, um, and, you know, the bushes rattling and we'd hide every time. Now, 99% of the times, the bush rattling was just the wind. But 1% of the time, it was the scary mountain lion that could come and eat you. Yeah. So we hid every time. Just for yeah. this 1% where the mi- mountain yeah. lion came. So we reacted as, you know, f- fearful as possible every time. Yeah. So it's kind of... It's, it's so natural. deeply rooted in us yeah. that believing that there is something wrong with us
0: for feeling anxiety is completely... Exactly. Completely false. Also, uh, just... Uh... bouncing off of that also for example the fact that we have cold hands or um, Mm. Mm. uh, you know some sweaty palms cold hands when we feel anxious is exactly the same evolutionary origin it's because when we feel that danger is approaching it usually meant there was a big bear or an animal that could attack you Mm -hmm. or you know bite you Mm -hmm. and our body automatically brings the blood flow to the middle of the body, to the vital parts, so to the organs, um, and away from the extremities, Mm -hmm. so that if, let's say, your finger is bitten off, there's not as much blood there, Mm -hmm. that's why it also feels cold, Mm -hmm. and also your actually important organs are... Mm -hmm functioning so this is also just the very simple reason why we have cold hands so there's it's, it's nothing that we need to feel oh no i have cold hands yeah, again like what's, wrong with yeah, me. what's wrong yeah what's wrong with me yeah. I'm, I'm so nervous no your body is doing what it's supposed to be exactly. doing it's just in our situation it doesn't serve us yeah yeah <laughs> but yes. it's fine yes. it's fine you can accept that it's fine it, it just means that your body's working yeah. and now you have your method to deal with it yeah. if cold hands are actually an issue like for pianists yeah <laughs> it's actually a bit of a problem God. um then you can, you know, have something warm with you. Like uh, you and I, we've had uh, like warm Warm pads pads. Mm -hmm. for so many years when we started out playing. And of course now, uh, in my case... 25 years later <laughs> do you still get cold hands? Um, I, I don't, don't I, mean, I don't get cold hands I know, because, it's I just, stopped, well, because just well because we've stopped. retrained yeah. our brain yeah. that's, why, that's why I'm saying 25 years later or maybe also when did that start that I didn't have cold hands anymore maybe 20 years later yeah. you know I, I realized okay when I feel this danger it's not because an animal is going to come and eat yeah. me but because I'm nervous yeah. and about to go on yeah. stage and I've just reprogrammed yeah. let's yeah. say my brain because I also don't get cold hands yeah. anymore but because you know, it takes a long time. Yeah, and also,
1: and, and, and you know, there are some professional musicians for whom that symptom always remains. Like, right. I have other symptoms exactly. that, that remain. You know, yeah. it's just that the cold hand yeah. one kind of does. subsided yeah, yeah, for has subsided for me as well. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very
0: interesting. But I do think it's a retraining why it has been subs- yes. just. And away. I
1: think that also, whenever it comes to these, you know, psychologically uh, induced. Feelings. you have to be aware that you're dealing with your subconscious. Like you're you're confronted with parts of yourself that you don't have that easy access to, Mm -hmm. which is why they feel so overpowering and which is why you feel so powerless against them. And I think that um, you have to be aware that there is some, I would say, mind gymnastics also maybe needed Mm -hmm. (laughs) in order to kind of, through conscious uh, acts, retrain your subconscious, you know, mm-hmm. like just because you know that the fact that cold hands is, you know, is, is a, the, the cold hands used to be a survival mechanism doesn't mean that suddenly, okay, now that I know it, the cold hands are gone. I mean, oh, until that, step. exactly. Until yeah. that reaches your subconscious and the cold hands go away, it's, it needs tons of repetition and tons of exposure to that situation. Yes. And I think that there are other things, for example, that you can do. Um, and, and I, I would like to, uh, to, to, to put, Specifically two strategies forward that I found very helpful when it comes to anything that induces anxiety, especially anything that induces self-consciousness. I mean, not fear of spiders or something like that, but Mm -hmm. like anything that has to do with you then being in your head. The first thing is posture. And, Mm -hmm. you know, posture and breathing. Basically, I mean, your body does certain things automatically when it feels anxious. Mm -hmm. Irregular breath, shallow breathing, and you kind of retracting into yourself, maybe putting your head down. And although in that moment, when you put your head up and start breathing deeply, it's not like, ah okay, you do that and the anxiety is away. But there is this kind of way of tricking your body into a more confident stance that has the potential to then, you know... Uh, find a
0: connection to your also more confident psychological absolutely i just want to quickly put in a study here Uh where um there was so in the study the brain activity was measured and they could measure how much you know happiness or Mm -hmm. fear or sadness Mm -hmm. or something like that, um, people were feeling at that time. Mm -hmm. And they had, um, so people were sitting there, and they were telling them, you know, sad thoughts, think Mm -hmm. of the saddest moment in your life, think of the happiest moment in your life, all of that. And then, so they, they measured the brain activity, and then a couple of days later, they took the exact same people, made them think about the exact same things, only they had a machine in place that kind of lifted their mouth To a smile. Mm -hmm. So that was like kind of pulling on their cheeks, Mm -hmm. if you will, to have them in a constant like happy face, like forced happy face. Yeah. And they were thinking the exact same things and they were significantly happier. Mm -hmm. So I just want to say that what you said is definitely scientifically true. That if we... Actually, assume the body posture or the facial uh, expression. expression that exudes happiness or confidence. Something in us does switch. Of yeah. course, not everything, yeah. Yeah. but it is a first step. You know, fake yeah. it till you make it. Yes, yeah yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, yeah, yes. So, so this is exactly the first, the first practical point. And then the other one, and it's I would say for me harder to explain or to put into words, but it is the thing that I. I knew instinctively that as I was dealing with my performance anxiety, that was what I was doing. But then years later I watched a lecture by a psychiatrist who described that and I was like, oh my God, yeah, that is exactly what I'm doing. And it was Mm -hmm. like kind of put into a more accessible um, version of it, which basically says that what happens when you are self-conscious is you put an exorbitant amount of attention on yourself. So basically you think, how do I look? What do I say? What do I do? Oh my God, there is a silence right now or the the difficult part is coming up. I'm challenged right now. Oh my God, everyone's noticing. So if you were going to tell this person, relax, or, you know, I don't know, um, stop thinking that, what do you do, you continue thinking about that. Like Mm -hmm. literally, if if the thought that you're thinking is, don't be afraid or don't think about that, Mm -hmm. all you can do is think about that. So you have to do kind of the opposite instead of trying to, take away attention from yourself what you have to do is push your attention as with as much concentration as you can outward Mm -hmm. so the way that i i I, you remember that when i was describing to you what helps me on stage to when when i'm feeling nerves coming up or anxiety coming up i would say is i try to listen to myself as if i'm you know the audience or i try uh-huh. to take more um i try to take more uh um try to take more influence
0: into the phrase I'm playing. So, for example, yeah. I I actively decide but to play do a you phrase. Get, do you have like an outer perspective? Like, do you see yourself? No, visually? it's more it's
1: more of a hearing okay. more than hearing okay. than, okay. than okay. visual. Okay. I, I don't mm-hmm. visualize myself. But it's more like you know I try to be even more focused on the music. I try to be as no, musical same. as I, right, the totally same thing. Yeah, yeah. As musical yeah. as I and and we kind of always uh, framed it into we remember that the music is what we do it for. We let the music be the thing that takes us out. Yeah. Of well again. i
0: sometimes even go a step further and just to prove to myself that i'm in control yeah. like take a freedom that i wouldn't take yes, like that's not me. part of my interpretation yeah. but just to show okay this is me deciding something <laughs> deciding yeah. something yeah, yeah who's pulling the strings yeah. here and i'm not you know controlled by the force of yeah. my nerves yeah so but ultimately ultimately what we are doing is we are trying
1: to um If we have, you know, 50% of attention in our own mind about all the things that could go wrong, Mm. we try to then put... At least sixty or seventy percent of our attention on the music, so that of course the the nerves are still there, the the you know the negative thoughts are still somewhere there, but we're trying to constantly um, overpower them with attention on something else, attention on something that is important to us, mm-hmm. the music, attention mm-hmm. on something that is out 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 of our mind. Yeah. So if you take that, translate that into a social situation or a conversation or an interaction where it's you know where you're within a group is the more you catch yourself being self-conscious and having, you know, uh, a string of undesirable thoughts in your mind, start looking at the people around you. Start looking at face expressions. Start looking into the faces of the people. Start paying attention to what they're doing. And not as a group, but as individuals. You know, like, this person is smiling. This person is looking bored. This person is, you know, like, start really trying to... uh, you know, let different thoughts and observations mm-hmm. enter your mind. Mm-hmm. And, um, if you know, if you're within a, for example, really high pressure debate, obviously it's like pay even more attention to what the other person is saying. Yeah. And that's you know, and yeah. th- th- that's how you're going to yeah. get out of the spiral. Like basically, all you have to do is get out of the spiral of your own thoughts mm-hmm. by overpowering it with something else. Now, the something else can be a game plan. The something else can be you know the intense ob- observation of other people. The something else. Can be um, you, you know, uh, tapping into the thing that makes you feel confident, the topic that makes you feel mm-hmm. confident. It can be the posture. You just need to do something that makes you that makes your your mind take their attention away yeah. from that negative feedback loop and focus on, on what's actually at hand. Exactly, yeah. and yeah. that is of course much harder the more you know, actual pressure and, you know, the more actual stakes there are. So obviously in a performance setting or in a setting where you have an audience or, you know, something that is very important important to you, the amount of, you know, negative thoughts and doubts that could enter your mind are that much, is that much bigger. Mm -hmm. Therefore, the amount that you have to counteract it it with is that much more, mm-hmm. you know, has to be that much more powerful yeah. and worked on so much more. So, you know, you need more preparation. You need a
0: bigger, why are you doing it and all these things. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. yeah, I feel like this episode, we just, exclusively agreed with each other it's really this is a subject I think that we both just see with the exact same eyes yes I hope it wasn't boring but no no, I think I think yeah because I think we both I think every other subject we have you know somewhat differing views yes that's true but here we're just totally aligned yes but I can't wait for the stories (laughs) (laughs) what are you gonna do Because I have, I have a, a social anxiety story that I want to tell. Denied? I mean, I can tell it, and you can still cut it out if it's not appropriate. I think I know which one you're okay. gonna say.
1: The fact that you are, you're, <laughs> that you're that. The way that I'm looking s- at you, amused <laughs> and excited to share it. I feel like I know exactly what you're gonna say. And in okay. the spirit of you know, like owning, I think I'm gonna let you say it. And okay. I don't know what story I'm
0: gonna say, but okay. I'm a. So shall I get into it? I know exactly what you're gonna say. Okay. Please Okay, so get into it. so. This is a very personal story of my little sister. Oh boy. And uh, this is a story of one of her f- one, one of her first sexual encounters. Mm-hmm. Um, where she was with a boy and it was unclear whether something was going to happen or not going to happen and she was very socially anxious mm-hmm. and it just has become this like running joke yeah. Yeah. between us which is why it's also so present yeah. in my mind because whenever we we talk about a situation that's uncomfortable we reference that situation yeah. and basically what happened was she asked the guy if he had a condom and he said yes And that was was the end of the conversation. Also, the end of the action, I want to say. It was like, and we always say, do you have a in? Okay, great, thank you. No, because I literally, I literally,
1: no, the the fun (laughs) thing, I literally said, because basically what was going through my mind in that moment is, you know, we were like fooling around and we were doing things, but it was, you know, and it was the first time we'd done something. And in my mind, like I asked, like I remember it was clear to me somehow that I didn't want to have sex with him. Okay. There. But for some reason <laughs> I, that I can't really tell you why, I also kind of wanted to... Like create a scenario. Synapt- I'm not no like like in my mind. Th- here's what was happening in my mind. I was thinking, okay, what happens in these situations? Like the way I had played it out in my head or in movie scenes is, you know, people make out on a bed, and then at some point the question comes, uh-huh. Do you have a condom? Yeah. And then the person says, Were you yes. a virgin? No, I point. wasn't. Okay. And okay. Um, did, uh, did you have? Do you have a condom? And then the guy says, You know, yes or no. And if mm-hmm. he says yes, it's okay. And then that's the introduction to the more sexual yeah. to the yeah. sex, right? Yeah. But in that moment, like I had made the simultaneously I'd made the decision that I didn't want to have sex and like my you know kind of uh let's just say you were acting without a plan yeah my subconscious okay what what am I supposed to say now was also working the same thing so what I ended up saying yeah. was do you, you have, have a condom? condom and the guy said yes And they said oh I don't, want one.
0: Oh, I don't <laughs> want one
1: and then he looked at me weirdly and then I like explained that yeah. you know maybe it wasn't yeah. a good idea to have you sex you basically
0: yeah. weren't even interested in that information No, no no and yeah. it was like do you, do you have a condom? But, yes? B- basically Okay, don't want one. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, it's, what <laughs> it's much funnier how we use it now because whenever either I come to Kiveli or the other way around and you know we talk about an upcoming uncomfortable scenario, one says to the other, you know, okay, but don't go asking for condoms. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? So this has really become a, a thing for us. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's a very funny. fitting story.
1: It's a very fitting story. Yeah. <laughs> um, um my story I mean, I have one story that is even more personal. Okay. Which I'm not sure if you want to...
0: Well, I mean, you can say it. We can can still edit it it out. Okay.
1: Um, Which I find interesting, but I I would say it also plays into your coping mechanism of trying to, you know, keep things as private as possible. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, I would say that I found it very interesting that when you had uh, sex with your boyfriend for the first time, Mm -hmm. you... Didn't tell him that you were a virgin, and you kept that information yeah. yourself, and told him later, yeah. that that was your first time. Literally, and that, like that was much later, much much later, when and he then, was already my ex-boyfriend. Yeah, yeah, and and that you, um, I don't know whether it was a way for you to deal with your anxiety of the moment, but that you. kind no, I think of...
0: I think it was much bigger than the anxiety of the moment. Okay, uh, it was the uh, it was the anxiety of not being enough, of, you know, not being okay. uh, experienced yeah, enough. Yeah, but, but it
1: is, has to do with insecurity and yeah, therefore yeah.
0: some type of, right? Yeah. But I mean, yeah. it was a much bigger insecurity than just yeah. the insecurity of that moment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was the underlying insecurity of my life, you know, yeah. <laughs> of, yeah. of not being enough, of not being experienced enough. So, yeah. like, having to pretend that I'm more experienced than yeah. I actually am, yeah. that's where it came from. And it just, uh, yeah, translated into me pretending that I was not a virgin when I actually was. Yeah, which is interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, pretty extreme,
1: I would say. Um, But, I mean, it was still, as far as I can, I mean... I wasn't there as far as I was told by you. Very nice. And, you know, I mean, you were in love with him and he was in love with you. No, that it was, was perfect. Beautiful. It yeah. was
0: totally perfect. And it was actually even cuter when then he found We out. talked about it and I told him the story and he was happy, you know, yeah. he was happy. And, um, yeah, it felt good to share that in, in like, you in know, in hindsight. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, yeah, I think that was
0: two very private stories in the end. Private stories out there in the world. Loving it,
1: loving it, yeah. And I think I would also really just, I don't know, like to take the chance to quite, you know, officially put out there that as two people, you and me, that I think are very often perceived as, you know, super confident and, and, and... the opposite of, of, you know, socially anxious to, you know, tap into the fact that, of course, we've also had a fair share of, you know, conscious engagement with this topic and we're absolutely not exempt yeah. from and also moments today. of real, yeah. still, yeah. I mean, both in the past and still today, yeah. moments of real and recurring insecurity, whether it is from the side of performing or also really in, in everyday interactions that just, you know, trigger a side of you that is that it's just less naturally confident and that it's totally okay and, um, and nothing to feel inadequate about. Yeah, absolutely. It's okay to be anxious. Absolutely. Yes, it is. <laughs> okay, then uh, this concludes today's episode. Sending lots of love to you all and see you next week. Bye. Bye. You're listening to The Sister Trill with Danai and Kibeli.